In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. It is good to be back and doing the podcast. That was a fun little break. <laughs> <laughs> Neither fun nor a break, but I guess uh, trials are fun. It's just a lot of work and stress. So, yeah, I was like sequestered away. It was supposed to be about for a month, but things kind of went on pause. So I was there for about two weeks, just kind of living in a hotel. It was very interesting. It's always interesting. But, yeah, just wild. Eat, breathe, sleep, trial. Yeah, you're just at <laughs> war, man. Yeah. That was rough, rough time but that's what we do and we love it anyway so we're back and what are we talking about today we're talking about the manzo mob allegations from the real housewives of new jersey which i think i say this every time that we get a lot of requests for (laughs) the topics but this one come on like people have really requested this one i think weekly people ask us to cover this yeah pretty pretty consistently yeah for good reason. It's very interesting. So you want to you wanna start us off? Yeah. I also want to apologize in advance if I sound not particularly peppy. I suffered in the Texas ice apocalypse and had no power for several days. It was 40 degrees inside my house. Then I got stuck at an airport for 12 hours and I've been traveling, which is also exhausting. So I am trying to pull it together, y'all. <laughs> I may a, not be just a day. quite as cheerful as I normally am. All right, You'll get so, there. <laughs> I'm working on it. All right. So Real Housewives of New Jersey, in my opinion, probably one of the historically best franchises, especially the first couple seasons. We're specifically talking about the Manzo family in this episode. The Manzo family was part of the Real Housewives of New Jersey when it premiered on Bravo in 2009, which... God, that's a long time ago. <laughs> long time. Like I graduated law school in 2008. It's a long time. So the first season premiered on May 12, 2009, and it starred Caroline Manzo, Dina Manzo, Jacqueline Larita, Teresa Giudice, and Danielle Staub. The show premiered and explained that Caroline Manzo and Dina Manzo are sisters who married brothers, Al Manzo and Tommy Manzo, which made my brain hurt. The first time I watched Real Housewives of New Jersey. It's like when twins marry twins, except they're not twins. Neither of them are twins. But do you remember that? Like, there used to be shows where they'd feature twins who married twins. It was like daytime talk shows. Anyway, 
One of my fellow partners in my law firm, in my Austin office, is a twin. And his brother, his twin brother, married a woman who has the same name as his wife. Twins seem to do stuff like that. Yeah, twins are so interesting. But okay, neither couple here are twins. There's no twins in this episode. (laughs) Both related to each other. Not to each other. <laughs> oh, my God. The boys are related to the boys, and the girls are related to the girls. So that's it. And Al Manzo, so this is Caroline Manzo's husband, and Tommy Manzo, which is Dina's ex-husband, are the sons of Albert Manzo, who was a 350-pound man nicknamed Fat Tiny, who was alleged by numerous sources to be a mob enforcer. And we will discuss that. To further complicate the family ties, I think this also made my brain really trip up. Cast member Jacqueline Larita was married to Caroline and Dina's brother, Chris Larita. So it was just like a huge family affair. Which is part of what made the show so good because, especially in the first couple seasons, I mean, no Mm -hmm. one can get under your skin and upset you the way your family can. They know you so well and they can just say or do that one sentence that sounds innocuous, but then... They can just push you over the edge so easily. There's real, genuine relationships that have been built for decades through all these family ties. If you haven't ever watched the first couple seasons of The Real Housewives of New Jersey, go back and watch it. It's pretty amazing TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Caroline Manzo was a main cast member for the first five seasons, and then she had her own spinoff show about her family. Apparently, she's returned to be on The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. And there's some drama going on with that, which we're not going to discuss right this moment. And I'm sure there will be something coming out of that. Yeah, I'm sure there's something coming out <laughs> yeah. of that. And then before we get into all of this, we want to be clear that Al Manzo believes both that his dad, Albert Sr., a.k.a. Fat Tiny, and that his brother Tommy were not and are not involved in the mafia. Quote, my father was no gangster, Albert said. He was a wonderful, hardworking man. He was never accused of anything else pertaining to be a gangster. The shame of it is that our family were victims of a murder which was never solved, and it was spun as a mob hit. And And then Caroline kind of echoed the same thing, and she said this Manzo-Soprano thing is nonsense. The one similarity that we have to the Sopranos is family. As an American of Italian descent, our traditions are very strong regarding love, family, hard work, and loyalty. The buck stops there. In August of 1984, my husband and his family were victims of a horrific crime, which we'll get to. To this day, 26 years later, the family does not know the whys or the hows of that event. The real crime here is the assumptions that are made against my family. And then she also said, as far as my father-in-law goes, in his lifetime, there was never so much as an accusation of him being involved in organized crime. And then Caroline also said, I will not give credence to the mafia talk. Tiny Manzo was a good man, a family man. His death remains a mystery. As someone who had grandparents who were born in Italy, my last name is Angotti. Sounds very similar to the notorious crime family, well-known gangster John Gotti. It does get kind of annoying when you're Italian and everyone thinks you're in the mob. and You're not. So I, I understand kind of some of the annoyance there. However, we are going to talk about some of the specific details as to why people have some fairly strong beliefs that Fat Tiny was, in fact, involved in some type of criminal organization. August 1983, Fat Tiny Manzo is found naked and dead in the truck of his Lincoln Continental with four bullet wounds to his chest. The killing was never solved. And this is from Mike Russell's book, Undercover Cop, which I will say I don't 
necessarily recommend this book. I kind of don't like books written by undercover cops. The one thing they're really good at is lying. How much credibility is there here? Although I will say his book was made into, I think, an HBO special. It's written in a very sort of brisk, kind of familiar vernacular. It is entertaining, but I don't know how much credence I would give to it factually. And I don't know how much you can when it's an undercover cop. But According to Mike Russell's book, Undercover Cop, Tiny Manzo made the mistake of constantly needling top soldier, and he uses the word soldier, Joe Zara humiliating him. And Zara just waited a while for the heat to die down before clipping him as payback. And the whole book is written in that type of vernacular. Mm. And then Ceci um, wanted to explain what a soldier <laughs> a is soldier from her is. internet research. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, I I didn't know what a soldier was. I figured that it was like a position, so I Googled it, and I found someone, maybe Wikipedia, said that it's the first official level of the American mafia and the Sicilian mafia. So there we go. Now you know. Maybe. (laughs) All right. And then because y'all liked John's voice so much, I'm going to have him read an excerpt from Mike Russell's book. But again, like I said, this is from an undercover cop. This is a book that was written in his perspective. He says this is what happened to Fat, tiny Manzo. A sit-down was held in the club in the Bronx. Zara and Gatto attended, as did Bobby Manna, Fat, tiny Manzo, and a Gambino counterpart for Manna. It was agreed that Zara would pay Gatto $30,000 for infringing on his turf and never set foot in Gatto territory again, unless it was for non-family-related business. Zara also agreed that he wouldn't take any retaliatory measures against Gatto or his crew. Zara later told me, privately, that his venture in Patterson had cost him $70,000, including the loss of equipment. During the sit-down, Fat Tiny needled Zara incessantly, but Zara had to keep his mouth shut and take it because he was wrong for opening up the club without Gatto's permission. About six months later, Fat Tiny was found dead, stuffed into the trunk of his car. The summer heat had expanded the gases in Fat Tiny's body, making his already huge body even bigger, and it took the medical examiner two days to extricate the corpse from the car. No one knew for sure who had clipped Fat Tiny, but we all suspected Zara, who in true mafia tradition had waited for the heat to die down before he exacted his revenge for being disrespected at the sit-down. These old mobsters never forget a slight, but I was surprised Fat Tiny turned up dead so soon after the incident. I thought Zara would have waited for a few years, thereby distancing himself even further from being a suspect in the murder. But then again, Zara was getting old, and I guess he wanted to spill the blood while he was still young enough to enjoy it. And then another theory, however, is that Fat Tiny and Gambino family soldier Peter A. Campisi were suspected of skimming from a mob casino on Staten Island. Campisi, which was Fat Tiny's partner in the casino, suffered a similar fate to Fat Tiny. According to Union County Prosecutor Puccino, Fat Tiny was, quote, well-known in the Patterson area, and his association with organized crime was well-known. As far as his family goes, his sons and daughters, there's no allegations about them that we know of. But the father certainly was a player in the scene with organized crime. Another thing he talked about was that the gregarious Manzo was well-liked. His only legal entanglement, according to a New York Times article from 1974, seems to be a grand jury investigation over, quote, possible collusion in the awarding of demolition contracts during what would be an unsuccessful bid to become mayor of Patterson. He ran as a law and order candidate who advocated public hangings. 
And then as no, we, no, no. yeah, I don't know about that. As we know from watching The Real Housewives of New Jersey, it was the Brownstone House Banquet Hall, which Fat Tiny bought later in the 1970s that would become his legacy. It's very nice, says Buccino. They do a lot of law enforcement retirements. And I don't know if you guys remember from watching The Real Housewives of New Jersey, I think in one of the first couple episodes, the Manzos are hosting an event and they're hosting the sheriff of... Mm-hmm the county that they're in, and they're showing that they're very pro-law enforcement in their dealings. The Brownstone is still run successfully by Fat Tiny's sons, Al, the one that's married to Caroline, and Tommy, who was married to Caroline's sister, Dina. And apparently the premises were even used as a location on The Sopranos. (laughs) So, oh, oh, Buccino also wrote a book called New Jersey Mob, Memoirs of a Top Cop. So in July 1984, Caroline Manzo marries Albert Manzo, which is really, I think, what, a month after Fat Tiny's murder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were having the wedding. <laughs> what? I said they were having the wedding. Like... <laughs> yeah, a murder a month before was not going to get in the way of the mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah, so in 1991, there was actually a life insurance issue with Fat Tiny's murder. So it went all the way up to the state Supreme Court, and the judges there in that case ruled that Tiny Manzo's widow, who was Anna Marie Manzo, could not collect on his $500,000 life insurance policy because Fat Tiny apparently lied on his application about having diabetes. He also apparently denied consulting a physician other than for a routine checkup in the five years prior to the application. But he, in fact, had been hospitalized twice. And the life insurance policy was taken out shortly before his murder in August 1983. So she doesn't get it. Which is unfortunate because it obviously wasn't her fault that anything happened to him. At least no one's has accused his wife of murdering True. him and putting him in a trunk. Okay, so we're skipping ahead several years here to 2007. Apparently, before anyone of the Manzos was on The Real Housewives of New Jersey, Dina and Tommy Manzo got married on the VH1 show, My Big Fabulous Wedding. Now, I scoured the internet for this show. I was dying to watch this episode. I scoured Reddit. I tried to find links. Could not find it. I think it has been scrubbed from the internet. I tried to see if I could buy it on Amazon, and it's not there. I don't know why VH1 doesn't want us to watch it anymore, but we can't. So the wedding had- It's called My Big Fat Fabulous Wedding. No, right? but like her episode was just my big fabulous wedding. There was no fat in it, according to oh. the sources. Yeah. It was just my big fabulous wedding. He actually admitted on the show that he had cheated on her several times and she <laughs> did not dispute that. I mean, this is right before they're getting married. The wedding had over 600 guests and cost $1.1 million, according to VH1. And I did find some links to where people had recapped this episode. So according to sources that actually watched the show when it was still available... Doubling the cost of the wedding was Tommy's inability to stop inviting additional guests. And the only thing remotely sensible about the spending was that it was great advertisement for Tommy and his brother's event and catering business, as well as the Brownstone, which obviously was the location of the wedding reception. There's some links where I looked at some of the pictures, and I mean, it did look like a very beautiful event, very expensive. I thought Dina's dress was beautiful. Also, I always liked Dina Manzo, but I'm always Mm going to like a real housewife with a cat. So... That's I'm always going to be partial to a real housewife with a cat. So background on Dina before we get into the other Manzo legal issues. She was born Claudine J. Lorita in Brooklyn, New York. She has one daughter from a relationship prior to her marriage to Tommy. 
and she runs Project Ladybug, which is a nonprofit foundation that focuses on helping children diagnosed with cancer and their families pay for medical treatment. She's also the godmother of Teresa Judice's daughter, Adriana. Her daughter. And she left the show after two seasons, came back as a guest or friend in the fourth season, and was a main cast member again for the sixth season and has since left the show and will likely never come back, in my opinion. I wouldn't if I were her. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> She's living her best life in Malibu. So mm-hmm. Dina and Tommy Manzo get married. October 2007, they have that show on VH1. And then May 12, 2009, that's when they first appear as main cast members on The Real Housewives of New Jersey. And I remember watching those episodes and Tommy was never on the show. He never showed up. He never mm-hmm. appeared on those early episodes of Real Housewives of New Jersey. It was just Dina hanging out with her daughter, who was a lovely person, another relationship or marriage prior to Tommy, and then her cat. Dina was alone a lot. Tommy was never. I didn't even know what he looked like until we researched this episode. Me either. I had no idea what he looked like. Okay, so 2010, Dina Manzo leaves The Real Housewives of New Jersey before season two finishes filming, and then she cuts ties from all of her siblings when she did so. And then February 2013, they officially separate Dina and Tommy Manzo. So Albert Manzo credited Dina for the couple's breakup. He said it was Dina who decided she wanted them to split. It was never Tommy. Tommy wanted her. He wanted them to stay together. And then Kim D., also from Real Housewives of New Jersey, gave an interview. She she spoke a lot. Kim <laughs> D. is always giving interviews. <laughs> yeah. She was just spilling it. And she gave her opinion on the split and said, the divorce is not on Dina. It's all on Tommy. Dina was madly in love with him, and she sat home every night waiting for him. She was a good wife. He was off at the brownstone doing his thing, if you catch what I'm saying. We catch we catch it. Tommy Manzo allegedly, quote, did his thing so often that Dina once confronted one of the women who told her to, quote, take it up with your husband, Kim revealed. She also gave her opinion on whether she thought Al Sr., so Fat Tiny, was in the mafia, and she said... That she didn't think he was a, quote, full-on gangster, but was likely murdered after he, quote, did something the full-ons didn't like. And she said, when you're a full-on, you have to abide by some rules and regulations of the life. From what I know, Tiny maybe did something that was not following the rules the full-ons had to follow, and they wanted to send a message. So that's Kim D's take. I mean, I would probably trust the undercover cop more than I'd trust (laughs) Kim D, but... And I already explained how much I give credence to undercover cops who write books. But just a little bit on Dina and Tommy's marriage. Like like Ceci and I said, he does not appear in The Real Housewives of New Jersey, which, I mean, I can't blame somebody for not wanting to appear on a reality show. But from all the recaps that I was able to find and read of their My Big Fabulous Wedding episode, Tommy could not have been less interested in the wedding and was actually fairly cruel and dismissive to Dina and couldn't even really pretend to be excited to be getting married to her and was more interested in, according to the people who were able to watch the show, in just hanging out with all of the guests that he invited to the wedding, which is, you know, pretty sad. Mm-hmm. No, on it, when I watched the show when I was younger, I thought she was single. Yeah. And she's, and by the way, Dina is incredibly beautiful. Just oh, yeah. incredibly beautiful. She looks very naturally beautiful, too. She has these huge blue eyes, and she had blonde hair when she was on the show, and just like this very beautiful face. And she was also seemed like very normal compared to a lot of mm-hmm. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like a very 
normal one. She was really appalled with the table flipping incident. And I remember her telling her daughter, don't act like this or don't act like us. It just seemed like she was just not really into all of that sort of behavior. All right. So let's get into some of the legal stuff. On July 18th, 2015, Tommy hired a man named John Perna to assault Dina's new boyfriend named David Canton in exchange for a deeply discounted wedding reception to be held at the Manzo's at the Manzo's venue, the Brownstone, which is literally like another cast member on those early seasons. And wait, let me interject real fast. When we're saying Tommy hired, we're reading from the federal indictment or mm-hmm. or paraphrasing it. So Yeah, this is not our yeah. it's not Bible. It's... No. <laughs> and the federal government has alleged things, but Tommy has not admitted to any of this stuff, just so Mm -mm. we're clear. Or has not been found guilty of any of this stuff. Right. So So this is just basically saying that, yeah, Tommy hired a hitman named, not a hitman, a a man named John Perna to assault Dina's new boyfriend in exchange for a deeply discounted wedding at the Brownstone. And he actually planned out the assault and carried it out on July 18th, 2015, with the help of a member of his crew. He was armed with a slapjack during the assault and... How it happened is that he followed Dina's boyfriend at a local strip mall, and they assaulted him with the, quote, intent to inflict serious permanent injury. He ended up holding his lavish wedding at the Brownstone, deeply discounted, and 330 guests attended, many who were members of the Lucchese crime family. Similarly, I don't know what a made man is, so according to the indictment, they said that John Perna was part of the Lucchese crime family that operated in New Jersey and elsewhere. And it says that it is part of the criminal organization known by various names, such as the Mafia, La Cosa Nostra, and the Mob, which operated through entities known as families. And the way it operates is that there's groups of individuals and there's a person called captains or capos who control crews that consist of made members, so it's, quote, made members, who in turn control subordinates who are known as associates of the enterprise. Made members are elevated to their position through induction ceremonies in which they pledge fealty or allegiance to the enterprise for life. The made members often refer to themselves as amica nostra, or friends of ours, or wise guys. Capos approved all significant actions taken by made members and associates on behalf of the enterprise. In return, a capo typically received a share of the legal earnings of each crew, referred to as a, quote, tribute. Otherwise, a made member controls the day-to-day criminal activities of his own crew and enjoys the benefits of their criminal activities. So that's all from the indictment, and they're saying John Perna was a made member of this family. That's how the federal government, who is investigating this, is describing these activities. So that's where we're getting that information from. And then also from the indictment, it explains the alleged motivation for Perna to assist Manzo for, quote, mob status. According to the indictment, Tommy Manzo was upset that David Canton had an ongoing relationship with his former wife, Dina Manzo. And then, like Sessie said, he planned to have a violent assault committed on David Canton that would leave a permanent facial scar. He really wanted a permanent facial scar, according to this indictment. To make him to make him look less attractive. But facial scars aren't less attractive. I think that's what maybe what the, the brain was saying. Yeah. Tommy it's Manzo's a, brain. I'm going to read this in the legal language because... They're alleging a conspiracy and racketeering and all of this. And so like, they have to say these things in a very specific way. 
in or about early 2015, Thomas Manzo, knowing of defendant John Perna's membership in the enterprise, and then in quotes, the government says the mob, and intending that John Perna would use that membership in furtherance of his request, offered to hold the reception for free or at a deeply discounted price if defendant John Perna would commit or cause to be committed a violent assault on David Canton. And then it says, again, this is the legal language because this is how they have to write it in order to meet the elements of what they're trying to do. Defendant John Perna accepted Defendant Thomas Manzo's offer and subsequently directed his accomplice to commit the violent assault on victim one. And then the accomplice agreed, and victim one is David Canton, to commit the assault because, as an associate of the enterprise, he was expected to comply with Defendant John Perna's commands and because he intended to maintain and enhance his position with the enterprise as a result. So the government's saying, look, he wanted to increase his status in, quote, the mob, so that's why he agreed to do this. I also think it's interesting that in here they don't specifically say that necessarily that Thomas Manzo's in the mob, just that he knows of these mob activities, you know, and just knows that they're in there and, you know, can offer them. And that John was maybe doing this, yeah, to get a better position. Yeah. Okay. We can read between the lines government. And this really does sound like, I mean, I, The Sopranos is some amazing writing, amazing acting. I think it's some of the best TV that's been made, even though I don't typically like watching mob movies, because again, not all Italian Americans are in the mob, but really good writing on that show. And this does sound like a storyline on The Sopranos, honestly. Also, I had to look up what a slapjack is because I didn't know. And it's mentioned in the indictment. And then I read the New York Times article about the incident. And the New York Times article described a slapjack as a small club weighed down at one end and designed to inflict severe pain, but not necessarily life-threatening injuries. So then, of course, I had to Google it. And apparently there is a store called Karate Mart where you can buy a slapjack for $21.95. And I also thought this vernacular was funny. So it's, quote, it's the slapjack, exclamation point. A favorite of security and officers for generations, this beaver tail slap is made of a heavy stitched piece of black leather. And the secret to this self-defense weapon is a lead weight embedded within. It's 2.5 inch width means that this blackjack will deliver quite a bit of pain to your target without breaking bones. You're trying to stop the attacker, not maim them. And it says it's easy to carry in your pocket and pliable leather not only gives your attacks a whip-like action, but the loud slapping noise when you make contact is sure to dissuade additional attackers who might be hiding in the shadows thinking they can take you. Whoever wrote this description of the slapjack on KarateMart.com was really having a good time. It says, easy to use, easy to conceal. The leather slapjack is the perfect bludgeoning weapon for personal defense. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even for your average law-abiding citizen. Had <laughs> <laughs> to throw in the law-abiding citizen there. The copywriter was really having a good time with that description. Do you want to talk about who David yeah. Canton is since he's the victim in this? Yeah, so David Canton, this is from his Wikipedia, an American entrepreneur, philanthropist, and cancer survivor. He was born and raised in Freehand, New Jersey. New Jersey Biz featured him on their 2014 edition of 40 Under 40 for contributing to Brad Benson Auto Group, which he was the vice chairman at the time, becoming one of the largest Hyundai dealerships in the U.S. He now lives by coastal between New York and California, and he has his own full-service automotive M&A firm called Dave Canton Group. By the way, Dina definitely did a good job with her second husband. He is very handsome, is by all reports, is just an absolutely nice man, according to the internet and the pictures I looked at of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. he's yeah, pretty... he seems great. They seem to be really happy. Yeah, really happy. So good for her. February 2016, Dina and Tommy Manzo finalized their divorce. And then May 13, 2017, there's a home invasion. So Dina Manzo and David Canton returned home just before 11 p.m. Oh, and I have to add that they were returning home from Teresa Judice's baptism for Adriana, the yeah. daughter that she's the godmother of. Yeah. So that's the only reason that they were on the East Coast at all, because like I said, they were kind of splitting their time between California and New York or the East Coast. So they returned home just before 11 p.m. to their townhouse and found two assailants inside who rushed them as they opened the door. Canton initially told police in a type statement that when they arrived, one of the suspects charged at him from the living room and he was struck in the leg, knee, arm, face and back with a bat. And that's according to an affidavit of probable cause in support of an arrest. One of the assailants hit David Canton several times with a baseball bat while the other punched Dina Manzo multiple times. Canton was able to free himself and call the police. Homdale police and detectives with the prosecutor's office arrived on the scene, and David Canton and Dina were taken to a local hospital. David Canton suffered, quote, significant injuries to his face, including a broken nose, according to the prosecutor's office. Dina Manzo was treated for facial injuries. They were both treated and released. Some of their personal belongings, including Dina's $60,000 engagement ring, were also stolen. In the aftermath, David and Dina moved permanently to the West Coast and now live in Malibu, California. So good for them. So Kim D had thoughts on this, too. (laughs) (laughs) She has thoughts on everything. (laughs) Yeah. She gave a lot in this, this interview. So she said, she confirmed, they were only home from California for two days for the christening. Christening, not baptism. Isn't it kind of a coincidence that the home invasion happened then? Who else but people in Dina's circle knew that she would even be home? That type of burglar does a little homework. That house had been empty. Yeah, so May 13, 2017 is a home invasion. 
And then June 28, 2017, they get married. So Dina and David Canton get married. And I, I hope his nose healed before the wedding pictures. <laughs> it's awful. All right. So May 2019, there is an arrest for the home invasion. So that's about two years after the incident. And the first arrest for the break-in burglary attack was made by the state of New Jersey. And again, that was in May 2019. The prosecutor announced in a press release that a individual named James Manello was arrested for his alleged involvement in the invasion. And he was charged with first-degree robbery, second-degree robbery, second-degree burglary, second-degree aggravated assault, and two counts of third-degree aggravated assault, third-degree theft, third-degree possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose, and fourth-degree unlawful possession of a weapon and third-degree criminal restraint. So the prosecutor literally went through and made sure that they charged this person, James Manello, with every possible thing that they could that fit the elements. And just so you guys know, so robbery is like obviously theft. Burglary is, if I can remember from back from law school, entering a dwelling with the intent to commit a crime. So entering the dwelling with the intent to commit to steal something, that's burglary. And then secondary aggravated assault, you guys know what that is. And then obviously theft and then possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose. So the prosecutor sat down and was like, we are going to make sure we stack up all the charges against this person that we can. Ceci found some facts on James Manello. Yeah, so he has 36 prior convictions for indictable offenses. There were convictions for armed robbery, burglaries, thefts, and fencing, which, what is fencing? It's not like you're just going into a store and stealing something. It's like more like conversion, I think. To resell for profit. Yeah. I didn't know that. Now you know. Manello was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for a robbery in 1999 and was released in 2008. He served other prison terms prior to that, and he has six prior disorderly person convictions. So... He's got a record. Oh, and then how they found him for the arrest. Here's a little bit on the investigation. So they left a zip tie in at the crime scene, which they sent to the state police lab for DNA testing. But there was no immediate match found, which is interesting because, like, this guy has a whole laundry list of stuff. They couldn't. Anyway, whatever. Two weeks later... Keyport police investigating a motor vehicle accident found Canton's stolen bank card discarded on Route 36. It was near the entrance of the Garden State Parkway at Interchange 117. Believing that parkway was a possible escape route for the robbers, detectives obtained the records of thousands of cars that went through the tolls at that interchange within an hour and a half of the home invasion. But there was no break in the case until August 2018, when they informed detectives that DNA on the zip tie matched Manello's. With that, they got records from a phone associated with Manello and learned it was used in the Homdale area between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m. the day of the robbery. And there was a call made at 11.17 p.m. hitting off a tower in the vicinity of the parkway about 10 miles north of the toll booths at Interchange 117. Then investigators went back to the records of the vehicles that were going through the toll booths and found a black Ford Explorer associated with Manello there at 11.07 p.m., and the robbery occurred at about 10.45 p.m., so that's how they connected all the dots. And then he was using the same Ford Explorer on April 29th, and that's what led to his arrest four days later. Some really good police work. Yeah. Like, that's really impressive police work, honestly. 
Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me, oh, I think we should like maybe do an episode about this in the future, but the the murders at the um, that university. Oh, yeah. We've gotten a lot of requests for that. I mean, we don't really yeah. do pure true crime, typically. Mm-mm. My sister's been pestering me to do. <laughs> yeah, my Avery. Yeah. Like, it's all he talks about. Um, he should just do the episode. <laughs> He's, like, reading everything. We can but, have Avery and John do that episode. <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> they could do, like, the true crime branch off. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it was a similar, similarly, like, detailed investigation. I mean, all investigations are detailed, but, like, weird connection of the dots sort of a thing in that as well. I think this is his attorney said that the detectives got the wrong guy. He said that Canton described an assailant who was thin and about five foot eleven. On his knees, Mr. Manello is not five eleven or a slim build, said the attorney. Mr. Manello is six foot three and clearly not of a slight build. So they're like, you got the wrong guy. It's like, okay. He might have said the wrong description, but he was also being pummeled with a bat. So give him a little Slack. David and Dina's attorney stated on their behalf, we are so grateful to the New Jersey law enforcement authorities whose diligent investigation over the last two years culminated in today's arrest. Thank you to everyone who has expressed concern for our well-being. We've had such a great support system. So that was all the home invasion slash burglary slash assault. And it's kind of confusing because the in, in the timeline, chronologically, the two cases go back and forth. But these things, so the investigations, the arrests, were kind of overlapping with each other. So Manalo was arrested in the home invasion. And now switching gears to the 2015 assault on David Canton, Perna was previously arrested for the assault for hire attack on Dave Canton. It wasn't until 2020 that they then revised the indictment to add Tommy Manzo, Tommy Manzo, who is Dina's ex-husband. Tommy pleaded not guilty. And the charges there, violent crime in aid of racketeering activity. Do you want to mention what racketeering is again? What I'm going to do is tell people to go back and listen to our Hells Angels and the Girardi family enterprise for the background of racketeering, which is the RICO Act. And that was actually enacted and put into place in order to take down the mob. We explain that in detail, but essentially it's that these unrelated, perhaps, criminal activities are actually in furtherance of this ongoing criminal enterprise, and they are connected. And the best way to think about it, just in lay people terms, is the Sopranos. Tony Soprano holds a very high position, but the people at the bottom are doing things in furtherance of Tony Soprano's organization. So what the lower guys are doing and then paying the money upwards in order, that's all part of an ongoing criminal enterprise. And the way the law is written is to be able to charge people with this specific crime of racketeering in order to take them all out, essentially, even though Tony Soprano could say, well, I didn't, I wasn't even there. I didn't have anything to do with whatever was going on in this strip club or wherever else, or that guy getting beat up. I didn't have anything to do with it, but they can If they charge this correctly and have the correct facts, they can show, look, no, this is all part of an ongoing criminal enterprise. It's all connected. Everybody's in trouble. So, yeah, Tommy Manzo was then indicted, like I just said. And it was, like we were mentioning, violent crime in aid of racketeering activity. They were both indicted with that. So this is Perna and Manzo. Conspiracy to commit an assault with a dangerous weapon and an assault resulting in serious bodily injury. Conspiracy to commit wire and mail fraud. That was just John Perna. 
falsifying and concealing records related to a federal investigation. This was only a charge against Tommy Manzo. Yeah, but this is how the brownstone gets involved, so it's juicy. (laughs) Yeah, and so what happened was, if you recall earlier, we were saying that Perna did the assault for hire in exchange for a discount at the brownstone. Well, Manzo falsified allegedly, and concealed records related to that investigation as it related to the federal grand jury subpoenas. So they sent subpoenas out to the Brownstone seeking documents related to the Perna wedding reception. (laughs) Manzo failed to turn them over in response to the subpoenas and deliberately submitted a false document regarding the reception to the government, along with a false certification. In November 2019, agents with the FBI executed a search warrant at the Brownstone restaurant and seized invoices for the August 2015 Perna wedding reception and other relevant documents that were not previously turned over. They were like, hey, we want the docs from this wedding. And he was like, I'm not giving them to you, and I'm going to make fake ones. <laughs> so so then they had to go seize them from the brownstone. Doing a little Chrisley uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. fake document creation. And, like, same thing for the grand jury investigation. Yeah. Or, proceedings, which is like, what are you doing? So Perna, or Mr. Assault for Hire, like I like to call him, like I mentioned before, was arrested before Tommy was indicted, and he was arrested in 2019. But in the interim, so between Perna being arrested and Tommy being arrested, Perna was actually offered a plea agreement, which Angela is going to talk about. They sent it to Perna's attorney on August 28, 2020, and then the government said this offer expires on September 11, 2020. And it says, conditioned on the understanding specified below, this office, meaning the government, will accept a guilty plea from Perna to count one of the indictment, count one charges that from at least as early as May 1, 2015 until at least August 31, 2015, Perna did knowingly and purposely for the purpose of gaining interest to and maintaining an increasing the position of what they say is accomplice one in a criminal enterprise, aid and abet the assault of victim one, which is David Canton, with a dangerous weapon, specifically a slapjack. And that's, you know, contrary to a bunch of laws, obviously. The agreement is limited to the United States Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey. It cannot bind other federal, state, or local authorities. They're saying, okay, yeah, you're agreeing to plea to this federal charge, but that doesn't mean that the state can't still come after you. And that's something that we wanted to explain. Normally, cases will be only filed in either federal court or state court, but there's actually no bar against prosecuting a criminal case in both federal and state court simultaneously when the conduct violates both federal and state law. So just because you've been charged for a state crime, that doesn't mean that the federal government can't say you broke this federal law as well. So anyway, he does enter into this plea agreement. On December 16, 2020, John Perna pleads guilty to the plea agreement that we discussed before. But like we mentioned before, Tommy was also arrested for this assault for hire attack on David Canton, but has pled not guilty and was not offered a plea agreement for all that we know. So now we're going to switch back to the home burglary, which, if you recall, there was also an arrest made there in 2019. So it was two years after the home assault burglary happened in 2017. And that's what I was talking about earlier, where there was an extensive investigation involving cars going through a pass. So May 11th, 2021, Tommy Manz was arrested for New Jersey state charges for the home invasion. So Tommy was indicted 
for his role as an accomplice in state charges for the home invasion to first-degree robbery, second-degree burglary, second-degree aggravated assault, third-degree aggravated assault, third-degree theft, third-degree possession of a weapon for an unlawful purpose, and third-degree criminal restraint. So he's indicted for as an accomplice to all of those things. And then he was additionally charged as the sole actor in two counts of fourth-degree stalking related to the same victims. Then just as a note, so it took four years between the time of the initial arrest that they uncovered Tommy Manzo's supposed role in stalking the victims in his motivations for the robbery and the assault. Tommy was arrested on May 11th, like we said, 2021, for in-state charges for the home invasion and charged as an accomplice to all of those charges. And then May 21st, 2022, he was released on bail in state court to await his trial. So Tommy Manzo's attorney, Michael Critchley, in response to the indictment said, quote, a reality TV show is more believable than the baseless claims against Tom Manzo, which I take offense to that. (laughs) He said this indictment is much ado about nothing. And Tom Manzo looks forward to ending this nonsense once and for all at trial. And then Manello's attorney again speaks out and says this week is exactly four years since the alleged incident and two years since my client was first arrested. This is now his third indictment with nothing new alleged nor any new evidence presented. It doesn't take a legal scholar to see something is not right with the investigation. We have to wonder if this much effort would be put into creating a fictional case if the alleged victim was not a reality TV star. To say at this point, my client is patiently waiting for his day in court would be a major understatement. We are even more confident today than we were two years ago that Mr. Manello will walk out of the courtroom vindicated once the jury hears the true story and is presented with the real facts. So both of them are awaiting trial. And to make it super clear, that means that neither Tommy nor Manello, who were both arrested and alleged to be involved in the home burglary and assault, have been found guilty of anything. They have not gone into trial. Neither of them has pled guilty. They haven't offered, been offered a plea agreement for all that we know. So both of the suspected suspects <laughs> from the home burglary are just awaiting an outcome. But let's talk about his release, Tommy Manzo's release from jail on bail. So to get him out on bail while he awaits the trial for the state charges, there were a lot of letters written. And apparently Tommy Manzo does not have any prior criminal history, no prior criminal record. According to the letters that were written, he is an upstanding businessman and is integral to the business of the Brownstone and to keeping all of that running. So as all of us who watch for Housewives of New Jersey and Bravo know, Caroline Manzo wrote a letter in support of her blood sister's ex-husband, Tommy Manzo, in order to get him released on bail as he was awaiting trial for hiring a hitman to attack her sister. That obviously (laughs) was not well taken by Dina. So this person comes out in defense of Dina and says, I'm going to have Ceci read what Dina says. Yeah. So the reason I put this in is because I guess she's she throughout the entire thing was being silent and um, wasn't really making statements or not being vocal about it. So this man says, for years, I've sat by and watched Dina take the high road over and over, staying silent for many reasons, but mainly out of respect for family. There's a million things I could have said throughout the years and spoken to defend her. She would forbid me to say a word, but I can't stay silent while others continue to talk. 
to help keep their relevance. You will reap what you sow, and I find this extremely fitting. After all, they are your most famous words. Hashtag, let me tell you something about my family. Dina responds, do you want to say? Yes, yeah, so that was obviously directed at Caroline Manzo, who's that's one of her famous quotes. Let me mm-hmm. tell you something about my family. We're thick as thieves. And then Dina says, normally, Lukey, I would ask you to take this down. But you know what? I'm starting to think just some of some just expect us to stay quiet while they continue to hurt others. That's what gives them that power. I'll say it again. It's not OK to take kindness for weakness. Plus, if you don't laugh at this point. Plus, if I don't laugh at this point, I'll just continue to cry. I love you. So that was kind of her informal statement on the matter. Yeah, I think we just kind of should discuss that just for a second. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Caroline is married to Al Jr., Al Manzo, Tommy Manzo's brother. They're all very much involved in the brownstone. Tommy Manzo and Al Manzo own the brownstone. Their kids work there. It's true that Tommy doesn't have any prior criminal records, but he has also been indicted <laughs> in both federal and state court Financially, there's strong reasons, I suppose, to want Tommy out of jail. And you obviously don't want to believe that your brother-in-law would hire someone to beat up your sister. But writing a letter in support of him seems, I mean, she didn't have to write the letter. No, she didn't. She could have let her husband and other people and acquaintances write the letter. She didn't have to write one. I mean, it's akin to one of... Jen Shaw's victims' children, like one of the elderly grandmothers, like like one of the the grandchildren writing a letter in support of Jen. It's almost worse because it, it it is worse. It's way worse. But I'm just trying to like analogize it. But if- you don't want to believe it's true. But you didn't. She didn't have to write a letter. No, she let and other people. The- write the letters <laughs> yeah and this is that there were like dozens of letters written yeah you know and then and then albie jumps in and tells people he's like you got to put yourself in my mom's shoes it's like um no we don't but also <laughs> come on really and i i think it's like just very ironic how defensive of family she is and how that's her thing and it's like you're literally supporting someone who wanted to attack your sister allegedly yeah. We still have to say allegedly he hasn't been convicted of anything. I guess maybe they've been estranged for so long that she didn't feel like she had anything to lose. I don't know. I don't know. It's bad all around. All right. June 2021, John Perna is sentenced and his imprisonment is 30 months and then supervised release of three years. And then he has a bunch of conditions he has to comply with. And again, to clarify here, John Perna is Mr. Assault for Hire. So the man who assaulted David Canton, Dina's now husband, in the strip mall in 2015. Tommy is still awaiting his trials in state and federal court. In federal court, the case has been continued five times. And then the judge said in the order that he agreed to the delay in federal court, because the defense needs a reasonable amount of additional time to prepare. I will also note that in the federal case, Manzo has had to switch attorneys and that the last entry on that docket is November 17th, 2022. So there's, at least from what we can see on the docket, there's nothing else that's been going on. But I'll also note that a lot of stuff has been sealed and is unavailable and we couldn't get the sentencing transcripts probably because 
there's stuff in there that the feds don't want the general public to know, whether that has to do with confidential informants or something like that. We don't know. All right. So, yeah, that's the end of that. So just to wrap it out, we don't know. Like, Tommy hasn't been found guilty of anything, though he was arrested for both the assault for hire in 2015 and the home burglary and attack in 2017. And though Tommy has not pled guilty to either of those, Perna, Mr. Assault for Hire, did accept his plea agreement and pled guilty and was sentenced to 30 months, like we mentioned before. Tommy has not been found guilty of anything. He has just been arrested and indicted. We will cover the trials when they occur. But yeah, that's our that's our Manzo coverage. Yeah. So all of yeah, and all of the, again, everything we've talked about with Tommy is allegations in criminal complaints made by the government. He has not been found guilty or pled guilty in any court of law. So these are all just charges, and you are, in fact, innocent until proven guilty in the United States. We're going to continue with our New Jersey coverage, and in our next couple episodes, we're going to be talking about all of the many, 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 many lawsuits involving the Gorgas. Yes. Yeah. So thanks for listening. All right, guys. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Join our Patreon. Our Supreme Court discussions are super fun. And also we post the legal documents there. We'll post the indictment of Perna and Manzo on our Patreon. We have our Docket Lawyers LinkedIn page, which is really great for networking. And does TJ forget anything else? Oh, our Amazon finds. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> but it's all in the link or in our bio on Instagram. Yes. So, yeah. And then our website thebravodocket.com so you can find us there as well but thank you guys for listening and thank you for your good reviews we really really appreciate them bye legal team hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the future isn't scary not realizing its potential however could be just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The Bravo Docket is part of the Acast Creator Network. <laughs> 